Thanks, Susan. Thanks, Susan. Well, hello. How are you? Still trying to wake up. I got my caffeine and my dark circles Maybe. under my eyes because I worked last night, you guys. How is progress on the apartment going? It's progress. I got some more furniture, which is exciting. So hopefully my background will yet again change, but not like location, just background because I have a room that is a work in progress. That's for sure. But, you know, hopefully with these next couple days off that I have, we'll get it all set up. And it's it's nice. I love it. It's, it's very me. Oh, well, we're so happy to hear that. Well, congratulations and hello to everybody. If you are new here, this is Taking Hello to Brunch. Welcome to the sideboard. I am Darcy, one of your co-hosts. And I am Shannon, the other co-host. So welcome. We're happy to have you. We do have some exciting news. One thing I want to do is shout out one of our awesome listeners named Riker. He sent in a really great submission. So I'm going to add that on my list. So I know I'm covering Ken and Barbie Killer Part 2 today. But next time I have an episode, I'm definitely going to cover his suggestions. So look for that coming out. So thank you, Riker. If you guys have any ideas or you want us to cover topics, stories, Shannon's covered a wide variety of like cryptids and mysteries and ghost towns, anything paranormal. So if you have ideas or things you want us to cover, please send us an email at takTVpodcast at gmail.com or find us on social media and send us a DM at TAKTV podcast on Instagram or take a color to brunch on Facebook. You can also leave a comment down below if you're watching us on YouTube and just let us know. We would love to hear from you. So thank you, Riker. And hello. Thank you so much. So with that, we're also excited to announce Well, I'm really excited to announce. I have created an awesome YouTube end screen. If you're listening to this, it doesn't matter. But if you're watching this on YouTube, go to the end of the episode. It's it's always the last 20 seconds. And we have a really cool new end screen where you can hit subscribe, see playlists that we've put together, check out some other videos that we have going on. But we put a lot of hard work into that. And I'm really excited to put it into the end of the video. So take a peek over there and let us know. Do you like it? Yeah. So put all that in the comments. And we're going to go ahead and jump into saying hello to everybody. So there will be timestamps. So if you want to skip the intros, you totally can. But we wanted to say hello to all of our patients and hi to everybody in the United States, the United Kingdom, India, Ireland, Australia, Bulgaria, Jamaica, Russia, Italy, Belgium, Germany, Canada, the Philippines, Sweden, El Salvador, Poland, Portugal, Mexico, Oman, Norway, Nigeria, Iraq, the United Arab Emirates, Albania, Austria, Cuba, Spain, Iran, South Africa, and Zimbabwe. And then everyone unknown and in between. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And we're happy to have you. So I guess we're going to go ahead and jump right into today's episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm ready. Good. You should be. Because I told you to come raged and raged. Remember? Oh, yes, I need this for today. Give me all the energy. Yeah, all the, well, it's going to be terrible. So it's it's going to be really crappy. All right. So if we remember, we just covered part one of the Ken and Barbie Killers. We found, we talked a little bit about Paul Bernardo's background. We talked about Paula, Paula, Carla Homoka's background. And then their inevitable meeting. If you haven't checked out part one, we'll link it up here. You'll see it. You can go check it out as well. But come back for part two. And Paul Bernardo is also the Scarborough Rapist. So we kind of have like two in one. It's not that great, but we're going to go through and we're going to kind of start from the beginning. So what's going to happen is, first of all, trigger warning. All these crimes do involve sexual assaults, rape, murder of nurse and young girls. Part one is just the beginning and their background. So there's no real crimes in those ones. So if this is too much for you, you can go check out part one. But I just want to provide that trigger warning right there because it is pretty graphic. And we're going to start with Paul. And then we're going to talk about him as a Scarborough rapist. And it's going to go through the timeline of his beginning to meeting Carla and all the crimes in between. So it's just going to go in a chronological order in terms of timeline just to keep everything in sync. And I'll kind of like just let you know the hits as we go. 
Cool? Got it. All right. So Paul Bernardo started attacking women or girls at the age of 23. He has attacked 18 women and or girls and raped 11 of them over the course of three years with eight possible other victims. And out of the out of the 18 women he actually attacked, five of them were minors. So that's just him as a Scarborough rapist. This Paul really preferred virgins as he got a sick thrill out of taking their virginity, as we kind of saw with Carla when he got really upset that she wasn't a virgin when they met, which led to the whole you owe me your sister's virginity bullshit. He, how he would find his victims is he would just find them at bus stops. So he would just sit outside and watch bus stops. And then when he found a girl or a woman that he preferred, that he liked, he would stalk them from the bus stop to their home before he attacked them. So a lot of these attacks took place pretty close to their home, which is pretty scary. He would use a knife a lot of times to subdue them and force them and force them into rape. A lot of times he would force them into anal rape as well. So it wasn't, it was the worst of the worst. But in 1987, on May 4th, his crime spree begins with Chelsea Hagen. She was 21 years old. Um, he attacked her in front of her home for over 30 minutes. And he fled when her father turned on the porch light because he was expecting his daughter to be home sooner and she hadn't come home yet. So he was turning on the light. So she was actually coming home, I believe, from school, and he followed her from the bus, and she was like in her front yard for being attacked and sexually assaulted for 30 minutes before her dad spooked him away. Ten days later, on May 14th, an unnamed 19-year-old woman, he attacked her in her in the backyard of her parents' house for over an hour. So I don't know how he broke into her parents' backyard, but he attacked her back there. And then on July 27th, he attacked another young woman, but he fled because she fought back. So I know there's conflicting stories and people are like, if you're just submissive, it'll stop. There's plenty of times we've talked on this podcast and we've heard another podcast when victims fight back, there's a good percentage of them that survive. And there are some that don't, but it's, are you going to risk it? Are you not going to risk it? I guess never being in that situation, don't really know. But this girl fought back and she was able to spook him off because I guess that kind of goes back to he's not expecting them to fight back. So it probably freaked him out, you know? So I, I think for me personally, I would probably be the type, definitely, actually, I know for a fact I would <laughs> be the one to kind of fight back. <laughs> And I, I feel like you're the same way, Darcy, right? Like you wouldn't just, in that kind of situation, I don't know. I feel like you would definitely fight back too. Like you and your little kitty claws, <laughs> you know? And then you always try to like put yourself in like, what, if I were in that scenario, like, what would I be? Like, what would I, you know, what kind of person would I be in, if I was there, you know? And yeah, no, for sure. Like, I just, I don't know. Like, I get the whole concept of, just trying to preserve your life, you know? And like, I mean, I guess it's different. Like you said, he had a knife, but still, I don't know. I, I would definitely claw his eyeballs out for sure. Yeah. I mean, I wish that on nobody and hopefully no one has to find out if they're that way. Unfortunately, that's not how reality works, but I totally agree. Unless you're, until you're in that moment, you never really know, but yeah. I, think, I think you would yeah. hurt somebody. Just so you know, ladies, just go for the eyeballs and the nuts. That's right. Anyway, okay, so fast forwarding to October, Paul and Carla meet as we ended last week's episode and going to move on to December 16th. So they've been together for a few months at this point, but then there is Sherry Sykes. She was 15 years old and he actually broke into her house and threatened her with a knife. So this is an attack that Carla was unaware of. As I said before, he is still committing crimes with or without Carla's knowledge. So she's obviously, a, she partakes in the murders and stuff, but there are still crimes that he's committing without her knowledge. What's funny? What are you laughing at? Penny. <laughs> what is she doing? Oh my God, I love my dog. <laughs> Just so you know, you guys, I'm, I have a very large window that like, watch it's a back door that like leads out to my backyard. 
and I'm literally just watching my dog and she's like, she's almost like, I swear she's part cat. Cause you know, when they like crouch down and then do the little like booty shake, she was doing that. Yeah. And then all of a sudden she just like launches herself at the brick wall. So <laughs> fun fact is that pet, my dog's favorite thing to chase after of all things is lizards. So she has this lizard friend that apparently she likes to play with all day. That's so cute. I love Penny. It was so adorable. Much. Sorry. <laughs> it was very cute. That is totally okay. Anytime there's dogs involved, they get it. All right. Continue. So he broke into the home of Sherry Sykes. She, as I said, was 15 years old. He threatened her with a knife. He assaulted her. He bit her ear. He raped her for over an hour, but fled when her mother intervened. So her mother walked in. She scared him off. She took her daughter immediately to the police. This was the fourth report in the last two months of this kinds of assaults happening. So they issued a warning to all of the women in the area to not travel alone at night because that's how that's how often he was striking in just in Scarborough. So an issue basically buddy system was put into place for women. Anthony, oh, Anthony Hainmayer, he was actually charged with this attack until Bernardo confessed in 2006. Anthony was released on June 25th of 2008. So this is after their crimes and he's in jail. He eventually confesses to this particular crime. So this guy who was framed for it was in jail for 21 years before he was actually released for a crime he didn't commit gosh yeah so on december 23rd what like a week or two later another unnamed 17 year old he attacked her with a knife he also sexually assaulted her with the knife which i just can't fathom how that went down i don't want to think about it uh it was after this attack that he got the name, the Scarborough Rapist. Now they actually gave him a title. In 1988, on April 18th, there was another unnamed 17-year-old girl that he attacked. Same MO as before, you know, attacks her with a knife. But he also assaulted her for over 45 minutes. So right now he's just kind of repeating and escalating his normal MO, but no murders have happened yet. May 25th. Paul was in the process of stalking his next victim from a bus stop, but a police officer was staking out the bus stop when he noticed Paul, and he found him hiding behind a tree. That's not suspicious at all. People just, you know, stand behind trees and watch people at bus stops. Oh, yeah. Totally normal. Not suspicious at all. <laughs> like, totally minding his own business, you know? Yeah. I mean, maybe he was admiring uh, a tree at night, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, all of these attacks that were coming in, these reports, they were finding one thing they had in common was they were like, I was walking home from the bus stop. I was walking home from something. So this police officer was just staking out a bus stop. Paul happened to be there. And when Paul noticed that the police officer had spotted him, he got spooked and he fled and the police officer pursued him. But Paul was able to get away. So that girl luckily didn't get attacked by Paul thanks to this police officer with his keen eye. But only five days later, on May 30th, there would be another unnamed 18-year-old girl who was 25 miles outside of Scarborough in Clarkson Paul, and he raped her for over 30 minutes. I think that encounter with the police officer and the heat rising on catching the Scarborough rapist spooked Paul a little bit, so he kind of went outside of his jurisdiction. And then that subsided him for a few months because he wouldn't attack again until October 4th. And he attempted to attack another woman, but she fought back as she should. He did stab her in the thigh and her butt that she survived. She had to get 12 stitches though, but he fucking fought back. And I'm like, I'm here for it. So good for her. On November 16th, another unnamed 18-year-old girl he attacked and raped her in her parents' backyard. So this just, this kind of repetitive behavior just goes to show the type of entitlement and narcissism he has. I can attack you outside of your house. I can attack you outside of your parents' house. I can attack you in your 
own fucking backyard. I would never feel safe and comfortable in those homes again. No, no. And then can you imagine these poor, these poor girls, like every time they like leave their house, even now at this point, you know, you're looking at the front yard where you just got raped. That's terrible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's terrifying. November 17th. So only one day later, the Metro police formed a special task force dedicated to capturing a Scarborough rapist. So they're also escalating because he's also escalating. December 27th, so a little over a month later, he does attempt to rape another woman when a neighbor chased Paul off. So she started to scream. It was in her yard. And this neighbor caught wind and chased Paul away. Unfortunately, Paul does escape. And he doesn't attack again until June of the next year. So he kind of let lay low for six months. But in but on June 20th of 1989, he attempts to rape another woman. But again, she fights back and she screamed so loud. So we have another woman that's like making noise. She screamed so loud and so much that her neighbors were like, what the fuck is going on? So he fled and he fled with scratch marks that she left on his face. So I'm like. Hell yeah, make it obvious that he was doing something. That's that's what they say though too. It's like, you know, when it comes to like catching these kind of people, it's like you want to make as many marks on them as you can because that way they'll be like, why do you have all these like, scratches on your face? Can you explain those way? You know, so many times, I mean, I, I know when I watch those, you know, catch a killer documentaries and all that stuff, it's like a lot of times it's just, Oh, why do you, why are your, your knuckles all bloody? Or, you know, why, why do you have that scratch mark there? And sometimes that's what it, all that it takes. Yep, you're exactly correct. And, you know, you get that DNA under your fingernails and sometimes it, it's, and unfortunately too, in those cases too, where the, the victim doesn't survive, you find that they find the DNA under their nails and it does help. Yep. Two months later on August 15th, he, there's another unnamed 22-year-old woman. He stalked her for over 24 hours before he attacked her. So he is now escalating from just watching them at the bus stop. He's learning patterns. He watched for her to come home through the window of her home. So he, then he breaks into her apartment, he breaks into her house, and he waits for her to come home. And he attacks her and he rapes her for over two hours. Yeah. Scary. Um, yeah, I'd be like, I'm moving, burn it down. I'm not, I'm not staying there. Ooh. Have you ever, really quick, you guys, have you ever had like a, a like a, like a stalker, Darcy? I, I can't remember if you have or haven't. It was a really weird instance, only because somebody could see me through my window and they were texting me about it. So that to me feels like a stalker. Have you? Oh my gosh. So I don't know if it was really a stalker per se, but like a, I guess what people would call like a peeping Tom. So I don't know if you've ever heard this story because this is like an old story. So this is way back when I first moved out of my parents' house when I lived with Ashley. Like that uh-huh. house. And I mean, you know, that house was like, a, it was a nice house in a nice neighborhood. Yeah. And I was upstairs at the time and Ashley and her boyfriend at the time were downstairs and they were watching TV and all of a sudden they're like, well, let's just go to bed. So when you, she was leaving the living room area, like where the sliding back door was, when you turn the light off in the house itself, it then makes it to where you can see outside because you no longer have that reflection. So I guess what she did was when she was turning the light off to go upstairs, she saw something in the corner of her eye. And there was literally a dude just standing there at the back sliding door looking in. Okay. I'm remembering this story now. And even now it makes me want to pee my pants because that would be that would scare the shit out of me yeah like all you're doing is like turning the light off and then like you see a full-on man just at your back door look watching that's like that's like some scream like michael myers like type shit yeah and so now just so you guys know like a good thing to get in the habit of is i know people like oh we'll save the energy no fuck the no Whenever you are inside like your house or apartment or whatever, and you have a sliding back door and it's nighttime, just make sure you have the porch light on because that will eliminate the fact that you can't see out at what is on your back porch. Because that's what happens is if there's no light on the outside, 
and you have light on the inside, that means whoever's on the outside can see in, but you can't see out. So always have your back porch light on. I'm super weird about mm -hmm. that, but I literally have nightmares. So God forbid you, you turn the light up, you turn around, there's a fucking man. No. So yeah. Yeah. Shannon's tip of the day. Turn your porch lights on. A couple months later on November 21st, he attacks another, <clears throat> another unnamed 15 year old girl. He stalked her from the bus station and the rape lasted over 45 minutes. So he attacks another underage girl. And then on December 22nd, another unnamed 19 year old girl, he followed her into an underground parking garage and attacked her and he would rape her for over 30 minutes. Uh, two days later though, on December 24th, Paul and Carla get engaged at Niagara Falls. Oh, how, how, how nice, how romantic. <laughs> How romantic. I mean, it's been nothing but sugar plums and gumdrops up to this point. So barf. Yeah. So now it's May 26, 1990. So he's docile for a little while, but he gets that itch again. And he attacks a 19-year-old unnamed woman. He raped her for over an hour. The woman was able to provide a clear description of her attacker, which allowed police to create a computer composite, which they released to the public and newspapers two days later, which was a huge step forward in the case. Because I think one thing we've talked about, you know, eyewitness testimony and things like that before. But one thing I think people sometimes, I mean, if, if you've been attacked, you have a better understanding of what I'm talking about in the sense of there's so much going through your mind right then, <clears throat> so much adrenaline that even if you're staring somebody in the face, it can just escape you. Yeah. So he wasn't really disguising himself at all then, I take it. No, he was like so confident he'll never get caught. Like no ski mask, nothing like that. Nope. Just walking around like the pretty boy he was. <clears throat> so two months later in July, Paul was actually interviewed by two detectives because the composite image, I'll have to find it and I'll put the composite up. I'll put the composite up somewhere over here. But it was like spitting image of Paul. So Paul gets put on the radar. He's interviewed by two detectives after they received tips. And one of them came from the wife of one of Paul's best friends. One of his best friends, his, his wife saw this composite and she was like, oh my God, that looks like fucking Paul. So she like called anonymously to the police and put this tip in. But because the detectives, here, here it goes, here's the but. But because the detectives felt she was too nervous and uncomfortable, they didn't believe her tip. I mean, because why would you feel nervous and uncomfortable potentially putting your friend in jail if they did these crimes that they may not have committed? What's so unnerving about that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, if so, anything, she probably really thinks that it's him and that's why she's fucking nervous. That's what I'm saying. Bruh, that, that, that's literally like in my notes. Bruh, like, of course she's fucking nervous. Like, that's her husband's best fucking friend. That's his mate. And she's like freaking out on the inside. Like, should she be doing this? You know, what if her husband finds out? What if Paul finds out that she did this? And is your next? Like, how do we know? Like, she's. I could potentially be putting someone who's innocent in jail or helping them cast, catch a, a mass rapist. Or be putting herself, like you said, putting herself at risk. Exactly. But so of course nothing comes of it because they didn't believe her. Great. Put this whole task force together just to discredit a really valid tip. But and then that December, so a few months later, so that really spooked Paul. So he lays low. He doesn't, nothing happens until December 23rd, 1990. And this is kind of where our story picks up from last week. When the first murder is committed and that him and Carla take the life of Tammy Homoka, who was Carla's 15-year-old sister. He goes to her house for dinner. They're going to spend Christmas together. Like I said, it's December 23rd. And this murder happens in the very wee hours of the morning. But he comes over for dinner. 
everyone's winding down. And they're like, oh, we're going to stay up and watch a movie. And they invite Tammy to stay up and watch a movie with them. And she's great. So after dinner, everyone goes to bed. Tammy joined Paul and sat next to him in the basement. They were going to watch a movie down in the basement. Well, Carla made them all some drinks. So what she does is her forte is she mixed rum into the eggnog and added halcyon, which is an animal tranquilizer, into Carla's drink. So she was determined to make up for her last mistake and was like, I'm making sure she doesn't wake up this time. She doesn't stir or anything. So she puts a lot of halcyon into her sister's drink. After Tammy passes out, Paul undresses her while Carla is setting up the video camera because they're going to also make a fun little video out of this. Carla wants to make sure that Tammy doesn't wake up. So she's already given her a bunch of halcyon. She also soaks a washcloth in halothane, which is an anesthetic. And she covers Tammy's face with it. Oh, let's just make some fun family memories. Mm-hmm. Yes. And this is all on camera, by the way. And yeah. I'm saying like, let's, 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 you know, bust out the VHS of that one time my husband raped my sister. Right. We're talking Christmas of 1990, right? <laughs> so after she's drugged her and she's now basically suffocating her with halothane, Paul and Carla take turns sexually assaulting her. In the video, you can hear Paul like giving Carla orders and telling her to do things to her sister, to which to some reluctance she gives it and she does obey, which barf, you know, there's everything's already wrong with this, but as a sister, I'm like, there's just so many levels of fucked up here that I'm not even gonna talk in. Yeah, yeah. That's why I said like my sympathies for her, like the second she like put the drugs in her drink I'm like you're past the point of no return like as any of my sympathies for your past I, I have no more sympathies for you it's all gone yeah no, absolutely not yeah so as I said Paul gave Carla instructions on to do things to Tammy Carla did attempt to say no because they made her uncomfortable so now we're feeling bad but like I said she gave in in the end so because of all the drugs and anesthetics in her system, Tammy begins to vomit and inevitably chokes on her own vomit as she's lying there in the basement. This freaks out Carla and Paul. So they are scrambling to try and clear her airways, but it's to no avail. They, they're too late to do anything. And Tammy dies after being drunk and drugged and choked on her own vomit, which is just, and obviously raped and assaulted. And like, what a just a horrible way for like anyone to go, but she was 15 years old. Yeah. No, 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 no. Mm -hmm. All the no's. Yeah. So panicking because they've now murdered, you know, her sister, they dressed Tammy, they took her back upstairs, they put her into Carla's bed, and then they called the police. Um, they told the, the detectives that they were watching a movie and drinking when she just stopped breathing. Like, she, we don't know what happened. She just stopped breathing. The whole house is awake. There's police in their home. They're like, what is happening? Her sister ran upstairs, and was upset, crying and freaking out. After all of that, the call comes back from the hospital that Tammy was pronounced dead. And hearing the news, you know, it, it upset her sister. The detectives that were at the house go upstairs to try to console her. And in that moment, Carla took the opportunity to start cleaning up the crime scene. So she's like freaking out. And once the detective kind of like turns his back to go console her sister, she's cleaning up. She's hiding the drugs that she used in the cabinets. She threw the sheets into the washing machine to clean them. In this, it, I listened on the Serial Killers podcast. They talk about this and they, it's something called like moral cleansing. <clears throat> so what moral cleansing is for anyone who's unaware is it, it's obvious that she's looking like she's trying to clean up evidence, which she is, but it's also to be seen as an attempt for Carla to remove herself from the situation because of her guilt. By getting rid of evidence, she could cleansing her conscience of her guilt and her part in the murder of her sister. 
And, you know, another example of this, I think it was Hamlet. Oh, I can never remember. It's it's one of the Shakespearean plays where the one woman is like, she's always seeing blood on her hands. So she's always trying to like rinse her hands of blood. So mm-hmm. there's some sense of potentially some moral cleansing that she feels guilty that she murdered her sister. And she's also scared that she might get caught. So she's doing all of these things to try and distance herself and clean the crime scene. Now, I'll I'll ask you, do you think there's some moral cleansing going on here? Or do you think she's just trying to clean up a crime scene? I don't think there's any moral cleansing personally. I think she's just trying to clean up the crime scene because if she were that impacted by what she had done, why would they repeatedly do it again? Right. Or why why didn't you say something to the police that were right in your house? Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that, that would be the ultimate moral cleansing right there. You know, it's just like they said, like when people, you know, confess and purge all that they've done, like that's, that to me is more of a moral cleansing than just trying to hide shit. Fair. What do you guys think? Let us know in the comments. Here's where I get annoyed. So when the detective that was consoling her sister notices Carla frantically cleaning up, he found it odd, but chalked it up to just a coping mechanism. Didn't stop her, didn't question her. It was just like, oh, well, you know, her sister just died. So she's probably just coping by cleaning up the house. Super fun. Right, right. And then it gets better. Yeah, it gets better because the coroner coroner also noticed that the skin around her mouth was red like a chemical burn which it was because she had chemicals on her face but since she choked on her own vomit he just determined that it was her stomach acid that burned like in the photos of her body like it's this huge burn around her mouth and was her face just sitting in a pool of stomach acid no 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 stomach acid and it doesn't do that like not to probably that degree. And I'm like, you're a corner and you're just chalking it up to stomach acid. Like you're also, not gonna like, check for anything else. Right. Like also, wouldn't you like try to sample things like that, you know, and be like, Ooh, I wonder why this is like there. Well, <laughs> so maybe I should like swab it or something. Cause I'm sure that you can do that. Cause it's a fucking chemical and figure out what it is. But you know, mm-hmm. you know, people don't logically think sometimes, even though that's yeah, their career. So, <laughs> yeah. So it's like, Thanks to the, you know, I want to say laziness, but laziness isn't the right word, <clears throat> but just thanks to all of, <clears throat> thank you. Yeah, that's the right word. Thanks to the carelessness of the detective and of the coroner, you know, they don't really investigate further what's going on here. So after all of this, the police leave, they basically get let off the hook. Paul naturally blamed Carla for her sister's murder because he obviously had no part of that. Carla says, this is this is what Carla does after all this. So he's blaming her for her sister's murder. Well, Carla suggests to Paul that they abduct other young girls in the summertime because she says it's easier to find virgins when it's warmer, which I don't know how that makes any fucking sense. What? I, I, I... Do you have a label on your head during the summertime? Hey, I'm a virgin. But not in the wintertime because, you know, people are wearing too many clothes. You have to be wearing minimal clothes. And then all of a sudden there's a sign on your forehead. Yeah. I mean, part of me thinks, because after this whole thing, he keeps like pressuring her and pressuring her and pressuring her because you have to make it right. Like you killed your sister. You know, you can never leave me because I'll tell everybody. I'll tell your parents. I'll tell your family. Like da, 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 da. And He's telling her that she has to make it right. And I think to get him off of her back, she spits this out there. Now, I'm not suggesting that she didn't mean it because obviously she follows through on this. But it's just, okay, Carla, make yourself look better. (laughs) But okay. Nothing happens for the rest, for another few months. But on April 6th of 1991, Paul attacks an unnamed 14-year-old girl after moving to St. Catharines in February Paul attacked and raped a young girl early in the morning so him and Carla are already living together at this point and so now he's kind of picked a new, te- a new ground and people to terrorize on June 7th of that year Jane Doe is how she's referenced in the trials Carla Carla knew her she invites her over to have a girls night out 
where she eventually laces her drink with Halcyon. And the two, they were co-workers at a pet shop that they worked for. So she knew this girl. And after she passes out, after Jane Doe passes out, Carla called Paul to tell him that she had a surprise wedding gift that was ready for him. Ooh, I remember this one, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he comes home and he sets up the video camera and him and Carla rape or Carla rapes her actually before Paul rapes her. So she is having, she takes her part and then Paul has his part following the following morning. Jane Doe was very nauseous and she was vomiting. She just chalked it up to being hungover as she had never had drank alcohol before. And that's how they leave it. They just let her believe that she was hungover. So she lived at least though. She did live. She comes back into the picture, unfortunately, but yes, she does live. So on June 15th, now we have our second murder of Leslie Mahaffey, who was 14 years old. Paul was on the prowl late at night and eventually saw Leslie outside of her home. After luring her to his car, he abducted her and took her to the home he shared with Carla. And he took her into their guest room. He blindfolded her and raped her for hours. At one point, Paul woke Carla up. So Carla's has been asleep this entire time. He wakes her up and he tells her what he did. Carla went back to bed and Paul went back torturing and raping Leslie 24 hours after he abducted her. Paul got Carla involved in the rape. He brings her home. He's been up torturing her and assaulting her for hours. He wakes up his wife. She's okay. I'm going to go back to bed. So she goes back to bed. He spends the next 24 hours just continuing to assault this girl. And then he gets Carla involved. And now they're both assaulting this girl. They set up their video camera yet again. And as before, they both raped her. They sodomized her and they tormented Leslie. The following day, it was decided that Leslie couldn't be allowed to live because she knew too much and could possibly identify them or his car. And this was from Carla. She's the one that says this to Paul. Both Carla and Paul blamed the other for how she died. Paul claims Carla gave her a lethal dose of Halcyon and Carla claims Paul strangled her to death. So that's their stories to the police. Either way, they decided to dismember her body after they killed her. They encased her body parts in cement and then dumped them in the dump. Though so they dumped them in the dump and at Lake Gibson. So they split up her body parts and they dumped her and disposed of her body. On June 29th, so what is that? 14 days later, so two weeks later, Paul and Carla get married. So <clears throat> good for them. And as they're celebrating, right? And they're celebrated as a couple in love and they're out enjoying themselves. There's a couple kayaking in Lake Gibson and they discover the concrete remains of Leslie and she was identified the same day. So the same day they get married is the same day Leslie's body is found, which that's going to be the newspaper. I bet you that's like the newspaper that they kept from their wedding day. I mean, if that's not a sign, you know. So fucking twisted, man. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, they got married. So now we're going to jump forward to August and Jane Doe comes back into the picture. So the one that got away before, the coworker of Carla's comes back into the picture. Carla approaches her again and asks her to spend the night. After drugging her drink once again, Paul rapes her. During the attack, she stopped breathing and Carla called for help. So she called like the fire department. She called for help. But after a few minutes, called back to say everything was fine because Jane Doe had begun to breathe again. There was never a follow-up call and paramedics did not show up. What? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So nowadays, you guys, that would not happen because I'm actually fairly positive that no matter what, like they still show up because that's just, that's suspicious. Just kidding. Never mind. They're actually breathing, but you know, 
So they're not gonna not stop. They're not gonna stop breathing again. Right, 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 right. Okay. Right. No wellness check. No wellness check to make sure was it a medical condition? Has she been like what the fuck? Yeah. So I, that blew my mind. I was like, no one's gonna check. Okay. 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 Fine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, well, at least nowadays things are different, and that's probably why these 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 cases right here. Yep. So nothing happens again for a while. So nothing happens again until. April 19th of 1992 with Kristen French, who would be our third murdered 15-year-old. Carlin Paul spotted Kristen and Carla asked her. So here's the thing. Kristen French is murdered on April 19th. They find her on April 16th. So they find her three days before. Carlin Paul spotted her. She asked her for directions. Carla approached her because, right, she's like the cool, big sisterly looking type. It's a younger girl is more likely to engage in a conversation with another woman than she is with a man. After Kristen got close enough to the van, Paul threatened her from behind with a knife. Kristen fought back, but unfortunately was overpowered and thrown into the back of the van. Back at the house, Paul inflicted Kristen with the same torment he put Leslie through. After hours of being attacked, Paul invited Carla to join them. At one point, Paul and Carla make Kristen watch the news as her disappearance is being covered and made her listen to her father tell her that they would find her. She was their captive for days. She was repeatedly being tortured and sodomized and raped by both Carla and Paul. And at one point, Paul left to run an errand. But Carla did nothing to save this girl. She didn't she didn't even let her out at one point when Kristen was attempted to escape Carla beat her with a rubber mallet I don't know where a rubber mallet came in but she attacks her with a rubber mallet so it's obvious that Carla had no intention of trying to help any of these girls that they are abducting which comes into play in the trial in this video of Carla talking to police about Kristen Carla does talk about how she became Kristen's like best friend, but she sounded annoyed as if it was like so hard for her. And I don't know, like, it's just the way Carla talks about it is just so fucking twisted. She's so annoyed that Kristen was trying to like get her to let her live. But then she's talking about how they talked about girly things and they were just like best friends. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no. After Paul got bored with Kristen, he strangled her to death with an electrical cord. And for whatever reason, they cut her hair off and then rinsed her body of their DNA. Then they drove her naked body 20 miles away from Burlington, where they just dumped her naked body into a ditch. They were just like, and just chucked her out of the car. And they just left Yeah, they're like, oh, the last one was way too messy, way too much work. Let's just fuck it. (laughs) Basically. And they haven't been... Yeah, and they haven't been caught to this point. So you can only imagine their egos are like, we can do it. It's fine, right? No, no, we don't need to put that much work into it. Absolutely not. That's too much work. Exactly. So not long, a man searching for scrap metal stumbles upon her body and notifies the police. The murder threw the media and the public into a fucking frenzy, as it should And the day after disposing of her body, Paul and Carla spent Easter with Carla's family. That's sweet. So sweet. Yeah. Isn't it weird how it's, I mean, first of all, you shouldn't murder people, but isn't it weird how for these two, it's like they do some kind of horrific murder and then something, some celebration or big event takes place right after. Isn't that's just so weird to me. Yeah. Like Christmas, wedding. Easter. What the fuck? Anyway. So December 22nd, Jane Doe comes back into the picture and she visits the couple again, but she abruptly leaves after Carla continuously pressured her to have sex with Paul. So I don't know what happened with that, but that was like the last time Jane Doe ever visited them. I don't know why the MO changed, but she was like, yeah, something's not right here. And so she left and luckily she was never murdered or attacked again. So that was the end of their crime spree. I'm about to get into the capture and their aftermath. 
Are you ready? Okay, here we go. So what led to their capture, you might ask, because they were on a, a spree here. Nobody was on their trail at all. What do you think the answer is? Gosh, is it the just the naked body thrown into a ditch or is it Jane Doe? You get to pick. You get to pick one and I'll tell you the answer. Naked body and ditch. It was Carla. She's the one that actually went to the police. Really? <laughs> I know, right? So here's the deal. Yeah. They were already on rocky terms, if you could ever imagine why that marriage was falling apart. Yeah, wonder why. <laughs> and Carla was getting more upset with Paul each day. She did attempt to leave him and she had her father come pick her up. This infuriated Paul and he threatened her. He threatened her about like her involvement in the murders. And he said, I'll tell your family, you killed your sister, blah, 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 blah. And for some reason, Carla insisted on going back to pick up some things and some of her belongings at the house. So she's insistent on going back to the house to pick up some of her belongings. And when she does, obviously Paul confronts her. And as I said, he threatens her and scares her into coming back. So she lies to her family and tells them that they worked things out. And so she moves back in with Paul which is very classic abusive relationship behavior, right? 27th, Paul actually beats Carla so badly and so severely with a metal flashlight. It shook her brain so hard. It slammed into the back of her eyes and pushed them forward from their sockets. And it resulted in two black eyes. Like she basically had like raccoon eyes. The pictures are pretty intense. He also strangled her with an electrical cord. This was the last straw for Carla, and she spent three days in the hospital and then moved in with her aunt. So good, good for you. I don't, I mean, I don't feel that anyone deserves that, but I also don't have sympathy for her, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So on February 9th, 1993, Carla goes to the police station and she turned in Paul from murdering Leslie and Kristen. She doesn't bring up her sister. And the biggest thing I think in this theorize of why she turned herself or turned Paul in or turned themselves in basically is because she felt that he, if he got to the police before her, he would pin everything on her. So it was kind of like she psyched herself out, which we've seen, we've seen time and time again with duo killers. Someone gets too paranoid and ends up turning both of them in. So she's like, if I turn us in first, I can get a better plea deal and blah, 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 blah. So I don't think it was because she felt morally bad. I think she was just trying to save herself from a worse fate. And ultimately, she doesn't actually have a bad ending to this. But we'll get to that. February 13th, Carla agrees to a plea bargain. Now, I told you she only mentioned two murders. She didn't mention the murder of her sister. And they named this deal that she took the deal with the devil. That's how pissed off the people were of this. So. Get this, the police offered Carla 10 years for manslaughter for the testimony against Paul. It's been theorized a big part of this amazing deal was also due to the fact that she was the only person who could give police all the details because it was just her and Paul the whole time. And they were able, and they may not be able to get Paul for everything if they don't have her testimony. So she gets... 10 years for manslaughter, but it gets better. Don't worry. So of all the crimes, she only get, would get 10 years for manslaughter as long as she testified and gave them all of the all of her testimony against Paul, which technically she doesn't do. She doesn't even give them the full truth. She only gives them some of it. Paul was picked up and he did exactly what Carla feared. He confessed to the rape and abduction of the girls, but pinned all of the murders on Carla and even claimed that he was, he always intended to let them live. That was his intention. Now, you could go back and forth and say, well, when he was a Scarborough rapist, he didn't kill any of his victims. Sure. But I think him and Carla are both equally a part of it. So it doesn't really fucking matter at the end of the day. Yeah. No, no, no. So I think if, if something had happened during one of those rapes that Paul was doing by himself, sure, I'm sure he would have murdered somebody or one of the girls. Sure. 
And things got worse for Paul when his DNA finally got tested for the Scarborough Rapist investigation and came back as a match. So remember when those detectives went and talked to Paul because of the tip that the neighbor, neighbor friend gave them? Yeah, they didn't think to ask for any DNA or anything like that. Like they could have actually caught him so long ago, but because they were just like, meh, you seem like a nice dude. You're an accountant. You're a stand-up guy. You wouldn't do that. So all of that to say his DNA was tested and he was confirmed the Scarborough rapist. So that didn't look good for him. Carla would spend months in a psychiatric hospital and finally revealed the truth about Tammy's death. So she finally comes clean about her sister's death. Now also keep in mind, they have not yet found these videotapes they have made. Right now it's a he said, she said. And right now Carla's being painted as the battered wife who was forced into all of these crimes because she feared for her life. That's the story being painted right now by Carla's defense. Paul's defense is painting her as the mastermind behind these murders, blah, blah, blah. Again, she probably beat Paul, beat Paul to this punch because she came forward about Tammy before he did. And how did this impact her plea deal, you might ask? Well, only two more years would be added to her sentence for a whopping 12 years for manslaughter. So out of the three victims that the two of them killed, she was only getting four years per person. Yeah. Yeah. Paul's case got worse after that because he actually tells his lawyer to hold on to the videotapes and he that him and Carla made they his lawyer had them for 17 months and never told the judge never told the DA you can't do that if there's evidence you have to share the evidence and he didn't yeah, do that very illegal like very illegal <laughs> yeah it is it, it, it is so Paul thought it would help his case if the tapes were never discovered yeah it would but <laughs> it came out anyway yeah, the problem was it actually ended up helping Carla because the prosecution stated that they would never agree to a plea deal had the tapes been discovered or disclosed at the time of discovery. So had these tapes come forward, they actually never would agree to Carla's plea deal. Um, but it was too late. They already took the plea deal. So Paul not only shot himself in the foot, but gave Carla a new chance at life, which she did get. The prosecution and the public were totally outraged. The tapes, obviously, as we've talked about, showed how sadistic both Carla and Paul were and how active she was and he was in all of these. Like they had very active roles and she wasn't this sad, beaten, terrified, battered wife. She was very much an active participant. Paul's lawyer was charged with obstruction of justice, but he acquitted and also had a hearing with the Law Society. So I don't really know what came of that, but he... I don't know if he kept his, his license or not, but he did get charged. Paul was charged with dismemberment, two counts of first degree murder, kidnapping and aggravated assault. He currently sits in a maximum security prison in Kingston Penitentiary. He gets to spend 23 hours a day in his cell. Carla was charged with two counts of manslaughter and spent her 12 years behind bars, and she was actually released on July 4th of 2005. So just another stake in her holiday ground, right? Here's, here's lovely Carla's life. She remarried and had two kids of her own. She stayed away from detection for a while until her sister was questioned by police as to why her address was on a box of body parts being delivered to schools and the government offices. In this story, and this is another piece of the story, like, what the fuck does this have to do with anything? I'm getting there. Her sister was cleared of any involvement, but if you've watched the Netflix documentary, Don't Fuck With Cats, please watch it if you haven't. It's fucking wild. It's about Lucas Magnata, or Luca Magnata. He was obsessed with Carla Homolka, and he thought if he made up a fake scandal that they were dating each other while she was in prison, that it would make him famous because he wanted all his fame. And so he sends body parts of people that he, of these men that he killed. And one of them went, one of the addresses he put down was her sister's address. 
And so that's kind of how Carla Homoka is tied to Luca Magnata, which is fucking wild. They actually never associated. She actually doesn't know him. He spread rumors that they were publicly dating online and then defending himself saying the rumors were fake. So he was creating all this fake press for himself. This case is one that infuriates the Canadian public and I completely understand why. There was really no justice for her sister. There was really no justice for the girls that she helped murder with Paul. And she gets to live life like she gets to enjoy life with her new family and her children and all I can think about is like how do you look at your kids knowing that if they don't know who you are they will know who you were and like how can you look at them and be like don't worry honey when you're 15 years old I won't do that to you or I won't like I just can't I just it's I get it I get why they're pissed I totally get it yeah and my thing is is I just want to know, do her kids know and are like how old they are, I guess it should be. And it's like once they hit that age of knowing and understanding and stuff like that, I guess people, people have like their own thoughts and stuff like that. But like, how can you look at your mother the same way then? Are you going to be able to look at your mother the same way? Are you going to be able to not think about the fact that she took part in so many murders? Is that, I mean, I just, I don't know. I couldn't imagine like finding out like my mom did something like that. Would I be able to see her as my mom still? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's wild. I haven't looked into it. Like, I should definitely do a follow-up and see, like, where they are now. I know she tries really hard to keep her family out of the press and out of probably changing names. I'm not really sure. I'm like, yeah, because nobody wants you in their city. (laughs) Like, Jesus. Not so fun facts. I only have one. When her body was exhumed in 1993, the police found a photo. So they exhumed her sister's body when she finally told them about Tammy. So I mentioned Tammy kind of like at the top of last episode, but they exhumed her body in 1993. The police found a photo of Carla and Paul inside the casket. They slipped a photo of them inside her casket at her funeral. And uh, obviously... Carl's parents did not want that photo put back into the casket when they were done investigating. So fucked. This is so fucked, dude. Oh my God. (sighs) Final thoughts on the Ken and Barbie killers before we sign off. My only question was, I know he's in, in jail right now or prison, whatever. How many years do you know? Do you have it written down somewhere? How many years in total he got for all the murders? Is he like serving life? Like, I know you like listed what he was charged with, but is there any chance basically is this man ever going to get out? Is my question. He was charged with dismemberment, two counts of first degree murder, kidnapping, and aggravated sexual assault. I mean, he was basically given two life sentences plus all of his other years. So I don't know exactly how many years. I am surprised that he was actually sentenced, the sort the court sentenced him to life in prison with the possibility of parole after 25 years. That's what I'm saying. Like, you know, because like you can have a life sentence, but you know, there's a potential you could still get out. He would have been up for parole in 2015, full parole in February 2018 after serving 25 years. Yeah, however, his parole was denied. Yeah, I mean, technically, theoretically speaking, this man could someday get out. Yeah, it's, which it's blows my mind. Gets like a yeah, I just pulled up the Canadian Encyclopedia.ca. It says Paul Bernardo became eligible for day parole in 2015 and full parole in, in February of 2018 after serving 25 years in prison. However, in October of 2018, his application for both day and full parole were denied by a panel of the parole board of Canada, after only 30 minutes of deliberation, as a dangerous offender, Bernardo will likely never be released. Well, let's just hope. We can only hope. (laughs) I'm surprised he even got the ability to have parole. Like, that just fucking blows my mind. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. You know, let's just keep our fingers crossed, I guess. But it is the justice system, so you never know. I cited all of my sources last episode, but I'll cite them again. The websites I used were Murderpedia, criminalminds.fandom.com, ranker.com. I watched documentary, The Deal with the Devil from 1997. I watched it on the YouTube channel, MFCSC. So you can check it out there. 
And I listened to Serial Killers, Canadian True Crime, and Serial Killer Cafe podcasts. All of that said, you guys can check us out on Instagram at TAKT Podcast. You can send us an email at TAKTPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook at Take a Killer to Brunch. You can also, oh, I was getting way ahead of myself. Check out our website at TakeAKillerToBrunch.com. If you're watching us on YouTube, thank you for being here. If you, we would love it if you would hit that like button if you liked this video, or you can leave a comment down below on what are your thoughts on this case? What would you like us to cover in the future? And also, if you want to subscribe, that would be great as well. So you can keep up to date with everything that we're posting and hit the little notification button. But thank you guys so much for being here. I'm sorry that was a huge Debbie Downer of a case. It was pretty, pretty intense. But if you've made it this far, congratulations. And we will see you guys on the next one. I don't have a drink with me, so I'm going to use my, my Evie plushie. Cheers. Cheers.